It's Saturday night and we've got the fever, you guys. Welcome to Ramble Reacts. On this even at Stamford Bridge, Manchester United squeak past the blades and the game of football loses a legend. It's Saturday the 21st of October. I'm Luke Moore. And I'm Andy Brassel. Yes, indeed. Before we get into the two games that took place earlier this evening, Andy, um, a word or two on the passing of one of the true legends of English football. Uh, Very sad news was announced earlier today that the great Sir Bobby Charlton had passed away in the early hours of Saturday morning at the age of 86 after a long battle with dementia. Uh, Fate has now sadly broken his stride and he departs this veil of tears, as they say, with an incredible legacy behind him, Andy. Yeah, um, extraordinary. And of course, one of my earliest football memories, I suppose, like re-seeing the 1966 World Cup final when I was a kid, when I was about, when I was about 10. And um, then when there was far less football on television, it being replayed in its entirety on terrestrial television was an absolutely massive deal uh, to me. And uh, then, and getting to know more about him uh, ever since, uh, he's, he's, he's been a huge part of um, English football and Manchester United for for, for so long. And um, yeah, he'll be sadly missed. Yeah, and it's not just, you know, it's the, you, know, you talk about the 106 caps for England, the 49 international goals, three league titles, European Cup, FA Cup with United as well. Um, those, those kind of uh, big moments coming after the absolute you know, tragedy mm. Of the uh, of the Munich air disaster, of which he was a you know s- sadly a part of, and and was able to help rebuild Manchester United following that. I mean, the World Cup with England in '66, of course, alongside the Ballon d'Or and the World Cup Golden Ball in uh, in the same year, it, it, those things are amazing. Of course, you know the, the story that that he's he's lived is is incredible. But I also just feel like, as well as being part of the part of the, the furniture of this country, you know, every bit as real as, you know, the, the sea around the island and, you know, all the, all the other things that you expect to just be there forever. Um, it, it's, it's the way he feel. it seems like he carried himself with such dignity and clearly such a classy gentleman and, and someone who, you know, really is symbolic of a, of a forgotten era. And it's a really sad, um, a really sad thing. It's inevitable these, these aging greats eventually pass away. I think Jeff Hurst is the only... Um, 1966 uh, final player left now, but it doesn't make it any easier to to, to witness it happening, does it? No, it it, it doesn't. And as as you say, um, someone who I think you can say you can you can define it in terms of the numbers and the honours as um, we so often do these, these these days. You know, just put your trophies on the table, and you know yeah. he, he was he, he was able to do that in terms of as you say, 66 World Cup. Um, and then um, 68, United becoming the first English team rather than British team to, to, to win the European Cup and, and, and being part of that. Um, but as you say, I think it was the, the, the way he carried himself as, as, as well. You know, such a different character to his, his, his brother Jackie, but um, equally engaging in a, in a very different way. Yeah, just a, just a final note for me in terms of his contribution on the pitch. I was always brought up to be have a huge affection for Manchester United. My 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 mum's side of the family have a, a fairly close connection to 
to Dennis Lord from the same part of the world, grew up on the same street, et cetera, et cetera. And so we were always kind of brought up to, to think of these guys as legends, which of course they were. But, you know, watching Charlton, the way he struck the ball and the way he was able to, you know, to, to, to really just do amazing things with a football when the football itself was, you know, as hard as a rock, yeah. the pitches were absolute bogs half the time. You know, the, the quality he was able to show as a player in those circumstances, in those conditions and, you know, just the psychological uh, difficulties of what happened in in Munich, you know, to say the least, would have just been so difficult to get past. Yet he was able to restore Manchester United and and and, he, and, he, and actually even elevate them beyond what they were before. Um, so just a really sad loss, an incredible symbol of of, of, a, of a great club, you know, one of, if not the biggest club in the world. Um, so huge condolences to his family and friends. You know, the football world is far poorer without him in it, but of course the world generally is far poorer without a man of such dignity and, and, and respect in it as well. Um, so we must move on now to talk about the football itself that took place earlier today. There were two games in the Premier League this evening. Chelsea entertained Arsenal at Stamford Bridge in the 5.30 kickoff, and we'll come to that shortly. But before we do, uh, Manchester United travelled across the Pennines to face a Sheffield United side looking for their first win of the season. Manchester United emerged 2-1 winners thanks to goals from Scott McTominay and an absolute rip-snorter from Diogo Dallo, who... Actually, pleasingly, Andy is a player you and I have pointed out as being capable of such great moments when he uh, when he feels like it. Um, and the Sheffield United goal came courtesy of an Ollie McBurney penalty. Um, what did you make of the game, Andy? I thought you know, Sheffield United started the game pretty well, had a few chances, a golden one for for the aforementioned McBurney, who shot quite kind of low and tamely, uh, and Onana was able to easily save it. And then obviously the Scott McTominay sucker punch came. Um, and before before I bring you in, actually. Scott McTominay, you know, for a player who's such a perfunctory player on paper, kind of attracts a huge amount of headlines. He pulls in so much attention, like whether it's goals for Scotland against Spain, goals disallowed against Spain for Scotland, multiple goals for United, two of which happened against Brentford, despite him not coming on to the 87th minute, mm. and another one tonight before instantly going up the other end and giving away a penalty. I mean, it's absolutely breathless stuff. I mean, unfortunately, the discussion of his contribution and value is almost uniformly trash, whether you're a lover or a hater, isn't it? Because either his 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 goals mean he's a genius and he must be in the eleven, or he's just not good enough for United. Um, I don't think really. There's a, he's, he's he's run down constantly, isn't he? And he's used as a symbol of. At how low United have fallen on many occasions. And that narrative has changed so much over the last little while because of those two goals against Brentford and, and the goal again tonight. I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll change that. And, you know, even on, you know, the greatest commentary, and, I, you know, I, I listened um, to, to, the, to the radio commentary of this um, uh, with uh, Ian Danter, brilliant Ian Danter, on, on, on TalkSport. And uh, it, it, even... He said, uh, or I think Lucy Ward beside him said about the justifying his selection, and it's like, yeah, what? You know, I, it's not about him justifying or not justifying his, his his selection. Really, I think that he is so capable in the opposition penalty box means it sort of uh, papers over the cracks a little bit, doesn't it? Because up until that point, Sheffield United had shaded it for sure, um, if, if if not clearly being the the, the better team. And it was just an example of uh, organisation and intent versus actual quality. 
really, wasn't it? Which is which is what United have and what McTominay has in, in, in the penalty box. Now, does that mean he's the answer for Man United? No. Does it mean that if Man United were in perfect nick, he would be in the 11? Absolutely not. I don't think he would be. Um, but for where they are at the moment, he's he's very handy. That's I think you've sure. been, and, and you've ended it on a positive note there. I think you've been a, a, perhaps a touch harsh on him. I mean, he's got nine way. goals, I think nine goals for club and country so far this season. Um, he's a kind of player that, you know, if you're not ever in decent nick, as you say, he's a player who comes in occasionally when they need him because they're playing on lots of different competitions yeah. and he contributes, right? The fact is, his contributions are, are far more important to United at the moment than, than perhaps they should be. But that's yeah. not his fault, is it? Oh no! I, 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 Sometimes I, said, I never said it was. Penalties away. Sometimes <laughs> it's negative contributions. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, the, the the nerve of complaining about that. Is it, I, I suspect we'll talk about it as well with the Chelsea Arsenal game. You know, there's a lot of we spend a lot of time complaining about VAR, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, in this nation in particular. I think that the thing that always gets me about uh, refereeing slash decision discussions in this country, at watching football from all over the place as I do, is we spend a hell of a lot of time dis- like debating decisions that are actually right, don't we? <laughs> Those yeah, two, of the, two of the rightest penalties um, that, that I've seen. Well, uh, I think, we'll, I think we'll come on. I mean, you and I may may butt heads the same way Jimmy Field Hasselbank and Jamie Redknapp did earlier around the. Um, the Arsenal. As long as um, I'm Redknapp, I'm cool with it. Yeah, well, we shall see. <laughs> I think I will be. See. I think I will well, be. I, I want to stick to Man United for now. I just wanted to, to point out that, like, you know, Manchester United have been talked about a lot this season. They're always talked about because of the size of the club they are. Yes. And we've talked at length about how soft-centred they seem. I mean, I was, I was at the game at, at the, the, the Tottenham Stadium, Spurs Stadium. Um, I've seen them a few times this season. Same again tonight, really. I mean, they got out of jail against Brentford. They've had some poor results. They look so soft-centred. And this game here is a combination of two things. They Manchester United were able to get a positive result. One, because they've got just basically got good players that can do That's stuff it. individually, right? And they can and, and, and are capable of moments. And secondly, Sheffield United are in a right old state. And, you know, and producer Finn, who, who works with us closely, is a big Sheffield United fan. He said like very early on, it's going to be really, really tough. Really Before tough. the start even of the season. Actually, yeah, even tougher that. than you yeah. think. And then Marcus saw Sheffield United at Craven Cottage and said to us straight away, didn't he? He said they're the worst team he's seen at Fulham for ages. Um, they started this game positive. So those two things are kind of probably contributory factors to, to why Man United won the game. But Sheffield United started the game pretty well. I could kind of see what they were trying to do. I could see they were trying to put Manchester United under pressure and ask a question of Manchester United. And if McBurney takes that chance early on and Sheffield United can convert that kind of early dominance into a goal. I'm not saying they would have won the game, but what I'm saying is they would have asked a question and and and, and the jury is out whether Manchester United can consistently answer these questions. But as it stands, Sheffield United weren't able to do that. And the other thing I would just throw into the mix on this point as well is that this is the latest in a long run of games where Sheffield United have conceded goals late. I, I think no other team has come near them for conceding goals in the Premier League after the 75th minute. So are we Diogo calling Dalu. them the reverse Portsmouth? Is that what we're calling oh, them? 
Well, listen, I don't need any invitation. <laughs> oh, no, sorry for derailing this. Another this. one today. Another one today. I think that's five <laughs> goals after the 90th minute in 13 games. Portsmouth still undefeated on top of League One. But listen, our, our, our lovely listeners do not want to hear me wax and lyrical about that. They South do, Coast Bayern, and those are the last words on it, right? They, they do want us to talk about Diogo Dallo's <laughs> beauty because it was an absolute peach of a goal. And um, I said to you before, didn't I, when he came on against Spurs, I thought he looked actually pretty decent. Uh, he seems to be quite an inconsistent player, but he's capable of that stuff, as we saw tonight. Um, a word on him, Andy, because you mentioned to me that you know he's kept out good players at the Portugal side as well. Yeah, um, ousted Cancelo at uh, the World Cup, for example. Um, he was having a bit of a moment, though. He's kind of having tantrums all over Europe and need Cancelo. He's, 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 having a, he's having a wonderful time at Barcelona when he's not blinding people with his teeth. It's, but... like, an, it's like an Eagles farewell tour, just arguments <laughs> all over the place, all over the world. <laughs> Just rouse. <laughs> it's true, but he's he's still a very accomplished knee skidder, and in a yeah. in a game that's just lost Eden Hazard, I think we have to give that respect. But yeah, I, true. I, I think yeah, Dallo on his on on his day is absolutely great. I, I think I I don't know. Am I am I being a little harsh in thinking Fotheringham might have saved that? I mean, it's, he did it's get his hand to it. I mean, he almost did save it. It's, it's a very good goal, but once he gets his hand, his, his hand to it, should he be saving it? Because he made a very good save just before that. Of, of, I think this is, another, this is another example of you being a typical London lefty there. Absolute metropolitan elite opinion, that. Well, I'll tell just you enjoy what. The goal. I'll tell you what, after that, I think we could be clear that Wes Fotheringham definitely isn't a lefty. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, oh, it can't be an English player. It, it can't be a European player to, to credit. It has to be an English player to blame. Uh, no, because if, if you, I was really how you said I am, uh, I'd be giving Diego Dallo all the unadulterated credit <laughs> rather than true, yeah. dragging Fotheringham into it. Yeah, yeah look, I, I think the best thing about Dallo playing, forget the goal, Amrabat gets to play in midfield. (laughs) You know, I think as the game went on, like I said, I I thought for the first, probably for the first 55, 60 minutes, I thought Sheffield United were were excellent. They did everything you could expect. And when I say everything you could expect, you said with that McBurney miss, they just lack that little bit of quality. And and, and that's how it is. Unless you come into the Premier League and you're prepared to spend 120 million, you know, that's that's what's going to happen really, I think. But um, I I thought Amrabat was better and better as the the game went on. Obviously, he had that shot that hit the crossbar as well. And I think he's going to be important for United going going on. I I, I said that as, as soon as they signed him. And I think the big thing for them really, if they're hoping to have a successful season they're going to end up playing what 50-55 games and I, I, I said at that point that they're going to need Amrabat at least to relieve Casemiro who became mm. way too important way too quickly for them last season and has started this season quite poorly so um, they've they've needed Amrabat a little bit quicker but obviously he was squirreled away at left back because of you know, various issues I mean I don't think you can even talk about squad construction really can you because um, to have the amount of injuries at left back that Man United have had, they've, they've been very unlucky. Um, but if you're looking for things to be positive about, I think that uh, Amrabat is one of those. Yeah, and I think he'll get improved one as he finds his feet more and more in this league. There's such a conundrum, Manchester United, because I, I don't, I can't honestly say I disagree with you on on your final point there. But then when I go back over the game in my mind, I think what well, Amrabat should have scored. He hit the hit the. Um, crossbar and he had another chance as well Hoyland was an inch away 
from scoring. Fernandez hit the crossbar with a free kick, which is a beauty. And if that was, you know, six inches low, that's a goal. Um, it got that up and down so well. Um, they they did have a lot of chances. Now, of course, the, the quality of the opposition is poor. I think we can we can say that. But at the same time, they had a little bit of joy themselves. So they're a difficult team to work out. I think United and Manchester United, and 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 I think they'll continue to be so while there's such a, a maelstrom of stuff happening on and off the pitch for them. Um, and so, you know, it, it remains to be seen what um, what happens with them this season. Before we move on, just a couple of points. One very quickly, presumably based on what you said earlier, the Scott McTominay penalty, you've got no, you've got no problem with that, presumably. No, absolutely. No. He sticks his hand out. I mean... Oh, the disdain you just showed me there what, what, to what, even what, ask that what, question. What more do you want? I mean... That was like me asking you if you wanted another pastel de natta in a Portuguese <laughs> cafe. God... There's a bear shit in the woods. There's the Pope wear a stupid hat. You can believe it. Sorry for asking the question. Can't come at me with cinnamon or don't come at me at all. (laughs) You've got your own in a little holster on your belt. (laughs) I know, I've seen it. Um, And the final one I wanted to say before we move on is just that um, man of the match for Harry Maguire. And the, the, um, the, the interesting thing about that is that they flashed up Sky Sports, a little, um, a little fact, a little bit of triv on the, on the screen. wins. Yeah, and it was surprising. Like it was actually surprising how good they are with Maguire in the team to the point yeah. where I might have to do a hill turn some point later in the season and 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 um, and go all in on Maguire. Yeah, well, like it's it's, it's got to be emphatics. If you're discussing football, it, it has to be emphatics, doesn't it? So uh, it's either the worst in the, the world other. or the best in the world. That, that's yeah. that's that's all it is. But I, I think um, going back to your your point, I think. The, the point you made there is absolutely key before in that it's all about the individuals for Manchester United. You know, collectively, what is there, really? And and the problem is, this is exactly where they were with Solskjaer a couple of years ago. You, you know, you think they were in this position where they weren't playing particularly well and the high-quality individuals that they have, like, get them points in most situations. Yeah, and I think that's it's fair. And then the final, the final thing I'll just say, as it pertains to Sheffield United, is haven't won a game of any description. I don't think, and haven't won a competitive game for five and a half months. Um, now I appreciate there's been summer in the middle of that, but it's not good. It is not good. If you could and just think, back the manager and move on, that would be nice. Yeah, well, it's yeah. not. For, it's not up to me. It's not up to me. <laughs> Whatever they do is nothing to do with me. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ramble. De Bruyne has the short option. He does have a splendid set of cards. I've got to admit, though, uh, Jack Grealish down below in front of us. Um, listen, earlier in the day, the 5.30 kickoff, um, the points at Stamford Bridge were like a dessert at the end of a successful first date, weren't they, Andy? Uh, lovingly shared between both parties. Um, finished Chelsea 2, <laughs> Arsenal 2. It was a pretty intriguing affair, actually, because Chelsea raced into a 2-0 lead thanks to some pretty appalling goalkeeping from the man that I have spent the last month or two telling everyone is a far better goalkeeper than Aaron Ramsdale, who wasn't in the squad for personal reasons. Um, Arsenal showed their resilience, though, and partly thanks to Robert Sanchez, who also fancied getting in on the act of being a shit goalkeeper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal were able to force their way back into the game and take a point that will probably feel like more than a point, given how they started the game and how they were able to battle their way back in. It was a good game. And, and you know what? Before I hand over to you, Andy, I'll just, I'll just say this. Marcus and I were at Chelsea, uh, Chelsea's visit to Fulham and we did a Ramble Reacts after that game and it was a very, very easy night at the office for Chelsea and, and we ended the show by saying, look, you know, is this symbolic of the fact that Chelsea are putting their, putting their act together or is it a bad night at the office for, for Fulham, right? And um, I thought we'd learn a lot from this Arsenal game and I think, like, I feel like we did. I feel like, you know, fair enough, Arsenal were a good team, second best team in the country last season. They've, they are a good side and they battled their way back in and that can happen. And that's a huge amount of credit to them. But I think Chelsea deserve a huge amount of credit as well for the way they went about things. I mean, fine, Raya didn't have a great night, but Chelsea forced that. They were, they were really actually quite decent for large parts of that game. Yeah, and I think if you're talking about sharing desserts at the end of a successful first date... I wouldn't know. I've never had a successful first date, I think. <laughs> It's just what I read. I thought, I thought it was uh, less the departed and more the business with Danny Dyer. Um, oh, now you're talking. In, in, in terms of quality. Because <laughs> uh, Arsenal were very underwhelming. A part of that, I think you have to give enormous credit to Chelsea. I mean, this was, for me, by far Chelsea's best performance of the season. I guess the frustrating thing, really, is when it's 2-0, until that Sanchez ricket. At 2-0, you think Chelsea have played the perfect game here. And if you're looking for evidence that they're genuinely progressing under Pochettino, and there is evidence of plenty in this game, I thought um, individually and collectively they were largely excellent. But, you know, you can't only play 75 minutes of the game, unfortunately. No. Everything around Stamford Bridge, um, the atmosphere, and Chelsea oh. fans, it has to be said, have been like pretty patient 
with this, this rebuild this season. While everyone outside Stamford Bridge has been going, the transfer policy is bonkers, what on earth are you doing? Yeah. Um, I think there's been a lot of understanding for Pochettino and, and for these players so far, um, from, from the crowd, certainly. Um, I mean, the transfer it, policy is bonkers, and what are they doing? But yes, I totally that, agree. That, that, is, that is true, but the, 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 the two things can coexist, I think. Definitely. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of Chelsea fans who I've spoken to and who I know have, have been, well, there are, there are shoots there. I've looked at it and thought, are there really though? Or, or do you just want to believe that? This was a game where I thought, okay, right, maybe there is something happening. Maybe there is a, a, a bit of progress. And I know, like, obviously his goal was a bit fortunate, etc. Mudrick, excellent. Again, it, it feels like um, something is, is, is coming together with him. Uh, Colwell, uh, Colwell, you can tell exactly so far this season he's been one of the major bright spots for them um the them digging in so heavily and deciding they weren't going to sell him to brighton i think that's one of pochettino's big calls so far because yeah he's, he's clearly going to be great for them going forward and previous chelsea regimes would have just sold him i think if the coach had rolled over so um i think that pochettino obviously fought so hard to to hang on to him, even if there've been tactical questions over him so far, could have a massive bearing on Chelsea's future with or, with or without him in, in in the medium to long term. Um, but it will be immensely frustrating that they almost pulled off like perfection, certainly in the context of this season, especially against such a good team, mm. and then they only end up with one point. Yeah, there's a whole load to unpack, isn't there? I, th- I, th- I totally agree with you about the atmosphere. It sounded amazing. And, and do you know what? We do give Chelsea fans a lot of stick. And, you know, and, and in many cases, you know, that's just how it goes. This is an entertainment show. We, we kind of, you know, dish it out quite a lot. They really made that atmosphere like a cauldron mm. today. And, yeah. you know, you also have to take into account, yes, they're a hugely money club. Yes, they've enjoyed a lot of success. Yes, like this is the most or has been the most successful period in their history. I think this, this, this. I don't think they've. How many games have they won at home since like May? It's crazy stats, like one or two. Mm. Like, it's not as though Chelsea fans have been enjoying amazing performances at home for the last six months, or because they haven't. So for them to generate that kind of atmosphere, good on them. I, I think that's. That, I think that's a good thing, and um, from their point of view, I, I, I agree with you about Colwell. I think he looks a, a really, really great player. Uh, you know, the tender age he's at. Um, he, you know, he's, he looks. You know, it's like a man grown. He, he just looks really, really good. Um, big positive for them that Reese James was able to come off the bench as well. Yes. And also, I, I felt like as well, and I think Chelsea were helped a wee bit by like a fairly imbalanced midfield by Arsenal, from Arsenal, like Jorginho playing, you know, changing up that central three, which has been so successful for them, I thought didn't really work. But It didn't feel like a derby midfield, did it? It didn't. And, and, and I also, but what I was going to say was, maybe Arsenal have contributed to this but for the first time, and like I say, I've seen I've seen Chelsea a few times this season. For the first time, I feel like that Enzo Fernandez and um, Moises Casado behind Conor Gallagher looked like it was actually pretty decent, like a pretty yeah. decent, coherent thing. And, and and the only other time I felt like that, I think it was when um, they played in a slightly different way at home against Luton, who they kind of brushed aside after a while. Anyway, so you know, lots of positives for Chelsea. Obviously, the kicker being 
that this Arsenal side, and, and this is an amazing amount of credit to Arteta, given what he inherited and how long it's taken him to get them cracking, by the way. Mm. This Arsenal side just don't really know when they're beaten. What, what did you what did you make of the... Um, so first of all, what did you make of the penalty? Because I've got a feeling we might disagree a bit on that. Um, and then after that, I want to talk to you a bit about um, about David Raya. So first of all, the penalty that gives Chelsea the lead that Cole Palmer scores after wrestling the ball off Raheem Sterling, by the way, who's the senior pro at the club, which yeah. I thought was an incredible thing to see. Yeah, it was. And... I think I think it's a definite pen with the rules as they are. I, I, I don't think he's, he's got his arms out. I, I mean, you know, just don't put your arms out. It's, it's, it's that simple, really, isn't it? But fine. So I, I kind of agree with half of that because the laws of the game are the laws of the game, right? They are always into, open to interpretation, though, and they're all, they always seem to be interpreted how they're interpreted, and it can be different from week to week, in my view. I I feel like it was was it Saliba it was Saliba wasn't it Yes it was Um yeah. I feel like it's not really possible for him to make that attempt to head the ball if he can't give himself momentum to get up there to do it None and, of that and then matters the ball is under so, the, yeah, the ball rules. is so close to him when it ricochets onto him that it just feels a bit All I'm saying is I get it I understand that that's the law but if if you try and empathise with Saliba now, when he's kind of going over the picking up the bones out of his performance, he's probably in a bit of a weird philosophical position, as a lot of players find themselves in with these current laws, because he's probably thinking, I've been punished here, and I don't really know how I could have done anything differently. I didn't set out to to cause an infringement. I I can't do anything else. I can't just jump like a fucking pogo. What, what am I supposed to do? You know what I mean? So almost the, it could be, the, rules, becomes, the rules the rules have to change to reflect that, don't they? I, I but do you think the rules do? That. Do you think the laws do need to change though? Yeah, of course. I don't, okay. like the hand the handball rule is ridiculous, but as it stands, that's a clear penalty. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it should be a penalty. I'm not saying uh, in an ideal world. I'm not saying I feel good about it being a penalty and anything like that. Um, I'm not saying Saliba's done anything massively wrong. But with the rules as they are, you can't argue. Is it? Is it's a penalty. Yeah, and I think if we're in a position where players are, are you know, really not doing anything wrong but still being punished, I think that's something that's got to be looked at. On, on the goalkeeping side of it, David Ray, well, Rob, Robert Sanchez's error was basically a common or garden error um, in distribution because <clears throat> goalkeepers are asked to do certain things these days. Mm. And um, as I said on, on Reacts a while back, they're kind of goalkeepers have gone from airline pilots to be fighter pilots now, right? They have to take a lot of risks, have to go out and get things and make things happen. And that was essentially why. Mudrick's goal, which was pretty fortunate, as in I don't think he actually meant it. It just meant that David Rea had to take taken up that really aggressive position when in, in ordinary times, maybe 10 years ago, a goalkeeper's probably three or four yards further back and covering that and he's not going to get beaten like that. Is that fair? You're right. I think um, the, the amount of risks they're, they're allowed to take, you know, if, the, the, the fact is if you're a goalkeeper or a central defender and you make a mistake, it's probably going to turn into a goal. Uh, and, and, yeah, and, and but he wants it, but... what Ray's doing there is he wants to come out and he wants to take control and be super aggressive because he thinks I'll get this ball and then I can start an attack, right? Yeah, and, uh, and I mean, yeah, Mudrick's those... golf club did. Mudrick's like sandwiched that, yeah, and, and it's and it's gone into top corner. Ray will save that if he's. It may it may well be even that he's just made a mistake and that he hasn't been coached to be there. He's just in the wrong position and he gets caught out, perhaps. But I, I feel like. Um, People just see goalkeeping errors now, but particularly the, like the Sanchez one, mm. um, as just a price of doing business now, don't they? Maybe, but I, I think with, with that Raya error, okay, it is, it is a mistake and 
it's, 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 it doesn't look great. But I think when you look at the fact that if if we just agree that it's definitely a miss hit from from Mudrik, I mean it's it's not a likely one. Of all the things that he's got to calculate as possible, so he's playing the percentages and he's just that, been that, unlucky. That, that, that are going to happen. It's it's really unfortunate, really. Um, you know, he's, he's he's not been done by something that's likely to happen. He's been done by almost an act of God, really. And you're right. I think to make those sort of mistakes when you're looking a couple of steps forward. That's something that I, it makes me think of Loris Carius actually in, you know, the, the one that he lets through his hands in the, he's already thinking about getting rid of it. So yep. he doesn't do the simple thing. And, exactly. you know, I, I think that's, that's easily done. And those errors almost always look the worst, but yeah, generally uh, your point about being hyper aggressive as a goalkeeper. I mean, that's, that's what set Joe Hart on the way down, really, wasn't it? And and that's what a lot of people, and I would agree with them, think is the worst thing about Jordan Pickford. Like, generally, that is something that tends to un- undo a goalkeeper, isn't it? Oh, I don't think that's the worst thing about Jordan Pickford, but I do take the point. <laughs> <laughs> Come um, on, pass of the week. It was a completed pass to Mark Gray. Andy, before we go... Um, there's been a lot of talk. We'll leave the final word to Chelsea, actually, because there's been a lot of talk this season for all the business they've done that um, they haven't really ended up with a you know, top-level centre-forward who can really lead the line for them. It may well be Christopher Nkunku will, will come back and be that player. And, of course, they've tried Nicholas Jackson there who who did come on today. Um, but Carl Palmer started through the middle and he, as we already mentioned, he wrestled the, the penalty away from Sterling. He wanted to take it himself. He took it well. Um, he looks like a really exciting young player. Mm. Is he someone that you're excited about? And is he someone who can fill that gap for Chelsea if they need it? Um, because I, I mean, I don't know when, off the top of my head, I don't know when Christopher Nkunku's actually coming back. But is Palmer someone who can play through the middle kind of consistently at the top level and, and do well for them, do you reckon? Honestly, I've, I've not seen nearly enough of him to, to, to know. Um, because he's, he's just a young player make it, making his All right, thanks very much. See you next week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've I've seen him mainly as a wide player, so you know, it's, to, to yeah, me, right. it's it's just you know another experiment in a long list of experiments at, at Stamford Bridge this season. I, I mean, look, when you started that conversation about which who could be the answer at centre forward, I'm just glad you didn't say bring back Mishi Batsway. I was I was a little bit worried about that, but I, I think. <laughs> And Kunku is going to be really interesting. He's going to be a game changer for them because he really proved he could play at centre forward in the last year. Plus, a Leipzig, a player who can create and score, is really intelligent, inventive. But of course, it's one of these things because they've struggled to find someone at centre forward, he's going to be required to do it straight away. After having been out for what what will be basically six months by the time he actually gets back, so you know whereas normally for centre forwards they can come into the Premier League and we saw it with Alvaro Morata for example came in scored a couple of goals and people are like oh he's brilliant he's adapted where of course he he never adapted to the Premier League he scored a couple of headed goals and people were like oh he's amazing whereas I think if you're a defender yeah. for example you're far more likely to be judged and quite harshly on many occasions on, on your all-round game so I, I, people are expecting so much from Nkunku um, I guess it's fortunate that he's arriving in this Chelsea season that is transitional with a capital T so if there's any 
time at Chelsea where you are going to get a bit of time, then then this is it. Yeah, well said. Um, and, you know, the Christopher and Kunker injury is just the latest in a long line of things we've got Ed Sheeran to thank for. And, you know, that to me is is, is the worst thing he's done. Um, let, let's wrap it up here, Andy. You will be back. I mean, I'll, <laughs> I'll be back on Monday um, with uh, Marcus, Pete and Vish to, to, to summarise um, the game tomorrow and to talk about some of the other games um, that happened earlier today, including the Merseyside derby, which was an absolute belter. I really enjoyed that. Um, so do tune in for that. And all your usual the stuff that all the usual chat that you're used to and that you enjoy, um, do subscribe on your podcast app and leave us a five star review wherever you get your podcast. It really does help us. We're a small independent show among a lot of big chunky sharks in the ocean. So do help us out wherever you can. Uh, that was a really poor metaphor. I apologise for that. <laughs> Find us on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at Football Ramble. And as I said, rescri- uh, do subscribe on your podcast app. That's all from me. Um, say goodbye, Andy. I'm more of a live shark for a future reference. Is that right? Yeah, I'd say so. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. You're going to back that one up, are you? <laughs> um, and it's goodbye from me as well. See you next time. The Football Ramble is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 